you don't walk in the room with desperation and anxiety and and nerves and feeling like if I don't book this then I am not worthy have other things you do outside of acting that fuel you and make you happy and bring you joy because that again will make you well-rounded and those are things and experiences you can bring to your characters this is LA is good for you Tencel Town a podcast about the art science and business of filmmaking Each week we bring you untold stories from the people who make Los Angeles the global capital of entertainment industry. Join us for your Hollywood 101. We've titled today's episode Five Guaranteed Ways to Succeed as an Actor in Hollywood. But who are we kidding? There's no such thing as a sure thing in Hollywood. That doesn't mean you can't improve your chances. Our guest, Christine Horn, actor and life coach for actors, shares her secrets with us. In the last three years, Christine starred in 25 TV productions, including That Good Doctor, Bosch, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and can be soon seen in Terminator Dark Fate. Christine, just in the last three years, you've starred in more than 25 TV productions, including It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Bosch, SWAT, Lethal Weapon, and The Good Doctor. Was there a moment when you felt... I've made it in Hollywood. <laughs> no. <laughs> I still don't feel that way. I feel like I'm I am surviving. I feel like I'm working. I feel grounded making it. I think we all have our, a different definition for what that looks like. Um so no, and I think that keeps me humble and it keeps me hungry. What would it take for you to say that you've made it? Hmm. Being on a a series regular on a show that's been on for at least four years, perhaps the nomination. I definitely went on the, went on the Emmy campaign trail this season. Um, at the time of recording this, I don't know the outcome to that, but. I think that a consistent work where I can call home. I love doing guest appearances, which are great, but there's something different about being on a show where you get to create a character from scratch and it's wildly successful and, and accepted really well uh, and getting recognized for that work, which leads to other work that you can leverage. So you've mentioned the Emmys. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, I don't really understand how this whole ballot works and what this campaign trail is and how do you you know how do you do you get nominated oh gosh yeah that's gonna be a whole podcast within itself basically i'm a member of the television academy and it's open enrollment it's a national membership you have to fill out an application have a certain amount of credits certainly it's not a ton it's less than you probably think and it's uh, at the time of this recording it's only two hundred dollars a year to join and once you join you're able to vote for the emmys And you are able to put yourself on the ballot for if you qualify in a in one of the categories. So, for instance, my uh, appearance on The Good Doctor season two, I was able to submit for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series. I think before I not I think before I joined the Academy, I just thought it was some some board that says you're good enough. <laughs> Your role is great and you we're going to put you on this ballot. And that's not, not the case. I mean, the fact of the matter is television shows submit their talent. And I've met friends along this, this journey who I've seen on the ballot and they didn't even know they're on the ballot because they're not a member of the Academy. The show didn't even tell them. Or I've also met actors who are series regulars and were not on the ballot. And the show didn't put them up. So the the short version is join the Television Academy, no matter where you are in the U.S. Um, 
and you can get accepted or not. And if, if not, they'll tell you why. And vote for the Emmys and for what you want to see on TV and put your own name in the hat. As a member, you get to submit for two categories for free. <laughs> and who then gets to vote on whether you win or not? For performer, there's two rounds, of course. So the first round that I put myself in, that's like the pre-nomination. You are actually on the ballot. But at, for performers anyway, other performers and casting directors can vote for you. Now, depending on what else you're submitting for, each we have what we call peer groups. So I'm in the performers peer groups, but there's a peer group for everything, choreography, producers, writers, casting directors, music composers. So people within that community can vote for them for round one. Round two, when, when you see on the news or E! Hollywood that the announcements have been made, then every we can all vote for everybody in the second round because it's limited to, you know, it's only a few people in each cat, like maybe six people in a category or something. So that's how it works. It's mind blowing as, especially for actors to realize, wow, I've had roles that I could have put myself in the ballot for years ago. And you don't have to just live in New York or Atlanta, or New York or Los Angeles. You can become a national member. That's amazing. Yeah. But uh, you originally starred on Broadway and, and performed in The Lion King. How did your Hollywood career start? How did you go from, from New York to here? Well, I actually was in 2006. I got the call. I was living in Atlanta at the time. I'm from New York, from the Bronx, and I lived in Atlanta for a long time. And I was working my 9 to 5 and my 5 to 10. And I auditioned for The Lion King at an open call and never heard anything until three years later. No callback, nothing. Out of the blue, I'm being a receptionist at a job. And they say, hey, can you come to New York next week for this callback? I go, don't book it. A month later, they say, can you be on tour next week? So certainly, you know, I quit my job and I went on tour. <laughs> But so from there, I did both national tours. It's a kind of the Lion King, God bless them. It's such an amazing opportunity and time in my life. Once if you're once you're good and they like you, they move you around to different companies for where they need have a necessity. So I did both national tours. I got to do Las Vegas, even got to workshopping in Germany. And then I got to have my Broadway debut in 2008. But I knew always that I wanted to do film and television. So I got my SAG eligibility in 2002 when I booked a Mazda commercial in Atlanta, back when there were uh, more union gigs back then. But I didn't join at the time, certainly because Atlanta's a right-to-work state. That's a lot of people know. But while I was on tour, I was like, you know what? I know in LA, they want you to be SAG. It's easier to get representation. So I joined in 2007. And after I left the Las Vegas company, Mandalay Bay Clothes. I literally drove to L.A. I had already found a place on Craigslist, sight unseen, rented a room. And it's like, that was around 2011. And it was like, no, here I am. And what happened next? How did you um, how did you start submitting? Were you self-submitting? Did you get an agent? <laughs> Let's talk about it. I love sharing this story. Anybody who follows me online has probably heard it already. But, you know, I came here with stars in my eyes like many people. Um, like, hey. I've been on Broadway. Hello. Like, I'm talented. And I was. That was a fact. What I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. It was that whole catch-22 that happens here. You want to book TV? Well, you got to have some TV credits first. Like, what? You know? I had an agent that didn't call me. I had a manager, kind of. I would just kind of submit every now and then on Actors Access and send my headshot to random things hope with the hope plan. I would just hope and wait. And... 
I was just watching savings dwindle away. I was getting depressed. I did local theater here in Los Angeles just to meet people and work and get some reviews because clearly I had that experience. But it became very frustrating and I didn't understand why other actor friends I had were working and what secret sauce they had and why they weren't sharing it. I just didn't, it wasn't working. And so it was almost two years later and I realized, you know what? I realized I was going to have to get another day job. And I said, well, if I'm going to have to get a day job, I'm just going to move back to Georgia where it's cheaper, where my boyfriend was at the time. And but I was like, I'm going to go with a plan. And I did a lot of introspective work. You know, a lot of actors don't like to hear about mindset, but it is crucial. I had to go inward. I had to do a lot of personal development. I stayed, you know, on Jim Rohn, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, like trying to work my brain to get it to keep myself inspired. I went back to my day job at a nonprofit. I was working the same nonprofit I worked at before the Lion King because they loved me there because I like I believe in excelling at anything I do. So I was a great employee. <laughs> um, but then I, I was like, I'm going to get coaching for just for camera because the feedback I was getting was, you're too big, you're doing too much. And um, I went back to Atlanta and I just had on-camera classes. I had a private coach for on-camera work. And I was like, I'm going to take any gig. I don't care if it's one word, two words. I don't care. I'm going to do that. Um, so that's what I did. And then I did eventually start booking and, and having my own process and method. But when I was in L.A. that first time, I, I would go on Actors Access, you know, and that's where I did book some web series from that. I booked a nice indie film from that. But that was the extent of my <laughs> submission process. And I created a short film. I believed that, well, if no one's booking me. Let me at least book myself and created some stuff. But it was, it was, it's frustrating. And I get how we as actors, it's to know you have talent, but you're just not getting in the room. You don't have the opportunity. But what I know now that I didn't know then was I wasn't doing as much as I thought I was. I wasn't marketing. I wasn't putting, I, I had the hope and wait plan. Which most actors do. Yeah. <laughs> or waiting to get discovered in some way, you know, and that's not realistic. In the restaurant when you're serving somebody right. at oh, the table. You. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I totally want you in my happen. next movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's happened to a person here and there, but it's the exception, not the rule. Exactly. Super true. Okay, so we've seen you on screen playing doctors, cops, barmaids, and FBI agents. Do you think you have a type and do you think it's important for actors to understand their type when they're entering the industry? I absolutely have a type. We all do. Um, but more importantly, as to, you know, quote Sam Christensen, um, I know my essence and I enjoy the roles that I play and I believe they really just speak to my natural personality. I'm either playing super authoritative, no nonsense ball buster, or I'm playing the caring, warm, empathetic doctor, you know, therapist. And those are two facets of my personality. I think new actors first starting out, do I think you have to know your type starting out? Starting out? No. I think just get started, just get foundation, learn how to act, learn the, the basics of this work. I think the you're finding your type and your essence will come. And it's very helpful to take classes like maybe the Screen Actors Guild, you know, hosts in New York or L.A. If you're in one of those markets, they have a great branding class. Um, getting people to give their feedback about what they get from you is, is essential, too. I think the biggest piece of advice is get the foundation and just look at television and see 
I'm always focusing really on TV and film, even though my theater is, my background's in theater. But see who looks like you and see who has the, who reminds your, where, where you see yourself when you're watching television or on watching a theater production. And that will at least start you on the path to thinking what you might play. Because what you will find out is as you start getting auditions and invites, I always tell my, my students, look at the consistency in the breakdowns that you're getting. What is, what's the common denominator? It may be different characters, but at the root of it, they're describing this person a certain way, their essence a certain way. And that will help you find out what your type is. So we've just talked about a type. I want to talk about headshots a little bit because um, you were talking about essence. If actors know what their essence is, um, then they probably can convey it in headshots. And obviously, Aspiring actors, they don't get a lot of help from a photographer. Not at all. They usually go to. So is there anything that an actor can do, especially if they're getting their first round of headshots and they're spending all this money, they can get something right about it, even they don't know their own type and they're not entirely sure about their essence? Absolutely. That's a great question. At that bare minimum without knowing much, at least approach it. Don't approach your headshot session. Well, first of all, please stay at a parks at all costs if possible. Like no park benches, please. Um, But (laughs) at least go in thinking of yourself as a character. Again, go back, turn on to television, you know, start watching TV as a as a part of your job description. And so if you think, okay, I want to have a lawyer shot. Okay, I'm going to look like a lawyer. Go to watch a show that has lawyers in. I know this sounds very elementary, but it works. Find a show that has lawyers. See exactly what they're wearing and try to find an outfit that looks just like that, number one. Then create a character. Now it's not just a lawyer. What's your name? First and last name, how old are you? How long have you been practicing law? What's your true desire? Create a full character for this person. So now when you're taking these pictures, it's not just, I'm pretty lawyer or I'm the sexy lawyer. It's no, my name is Veronica Johnson. I'm, you know, 28 years old. I'm the hottest young district attorney in this building. And that will come through your eyes. We'll feel your confidence. We'll see what's going on behind. Even if we don't know what it is, something will be different about it. A big mistake most people make with their, especially their early on headshots, is they're just trying to be pretty or look cute. And there's nothing there. It's blank eyes. I've done those. I've had plenty of my early headshots are horrible because it was just I was just trying to pose in this weird position the photographer told me to pose in. So if so, what if you have three looks? They are not just looks. They are characters pulled directly from a television show in your mind. What roles do you think you could play? That's what you do. That's what you create. That whole story behind it. How many headshots, how many different characters do you think actors should have if they can afford it? I think at least at least three, in my opinion. And and I will say this back in the day when I was newer to the industry, I did what many, many actors do and had like 20. I'm the janitor. I'm the nurse. I'm the doctor. I'm the lawyer. I'm the artist, you know, and had all these different costumes that doesn't fly anymore. Because it's not necessary. Casting directors are smart enough to get a vibe from you. So at least like three shots that can speak to the most the most things that you will play. 
not the random role you might book one day. You know, especially if you want to work in television and film, they book the same kind of roles over and over all the time. So if you're, you know, young mom, you know, or college student, you know, dis- you know, something with a suit like a district attorney or something where you work for the government and maybe something that's a bit more casual and or more sexy if you're going for leading lady, leading man. And I think that will cover you for a while. I want to talk about your process, but I want to start the question with um, how did you get your acting education? Uh, what kind of stuff you studied and, and where? And then move on to um, your process and how do you prepare for auditions and scenes? And is there a difference? It's a long question. It is. Is there That's a difference? That's a refresh my memory. <laughs> <laughs> is there a difference between how you prepare for the audition and then when you book it for a scene? Or do you think that once you've done the work for the audition, uh, then you're done? But let's start with education. Okay. So um, I've always been involved in performing arts, certainly, but it's speaking. I started out dancing, actually. Tap tap dance was my first thing around five years old. But as far as acting, education. My brain, I'm pausing because I'm just thinking, gosh, I've always been doing this. I started doing storytelling contests in the second grade. I was always doing this in some way. But when we moved to Georgia in 1992, when my mother decided to leave New York, she made sure I rolled in the... She moved near a performing arts high school. We were in that district, and it was the Tri-Cities. It's Tri-Cities High School for the Visual Performing Arts. Um, amazing people have come out of there. Keenan Thompson from SNL, Candy Burris from Real Housewives of Atlanta. I mean, so much talent. And that school changed my life because it was there that I met the drama teacher and became my mentor, Freddie Hendricks, who I will always give kudos to. He had a professional youth theater company outside of the school called the Freddie Hendricks Youth Ensemble of Atlanta. And from there, I started performing with this youth group until I was time for college. I then, I tried a liberal arts college for a few months, didn't work. And then I decided to go back to New York to the American Musical Dramatic Academy. We call it AMDA for short. That's a two-year musical theater conservatory. I only stayed one year because I just, some of the, the students, it was not balanced and I was not feeling challenged in every class. So I decided to just start working from there. So of course, like most of us, we just keep training. So it would be private, you know, Meisner training. Um, But the way that I grew up learning with Freddie Hendricks was very unorthodox. You know, there's a book out now that was written by one of his previous students who has a PhD now, and she called it Black Acting Methods, where every show we created, there was never a script. We created it in like a cipher, in a circle. Every song was created that way. It also created a level of competitiveness that is very healthy for us. Because if you missed a rehearsal because you wanted to go to the movies, well, there's someone else who was learning that song and who jump at the uh, chance to do it. And so that created this environment of support, but hunger and like desire. He would have a saying, don't, you know, don't worry about them. They got theirs. You better get yours. And that was always in our heads. So I believe that was some of the best training out of everything that I've gotten for schools that I've paid for was in that youth ensemble. And I believe that's what makes me stand out in this market. I'm not worried about what y'all doing over there. I'm worried about me. And so, yeah, that's my that's my education because since then it's just been workshops and one-on-one coaching. As far as process, is that where we're headed next? Um 
Can you ask me that question again? My What's my process to... Uh, preparing for the auditions and then if there is a difference between um, how you prepare for auditions and then when you actually book the role. Oh, okay. Great, great. Yes, I... Preparing for auditions is my favorite part. I like to see myself as a detective when I, when I get a, a C-mail invite or an audition from my... It's like, ooh, I put the detective hat on. And so I always tell my clients, put your detective hat on. Especially most times we don't get a full script. I mean, if we do, we're super lucky. But typically it's, you know... So it's cr getting to create this person. I typically start from Google. I go to Google, check out the show if it exists so I can get to know the tone and the pace then I check out who my scene is with, if the person character already exists, because I don't want to show up looking just like that character, right? Um, then it's a process of just reading the script from top to bottom, everything that's crossed out, every stage direction, even though casting directors say, don't read the stage directions. I read every single thing. And, and then it's about creating a character bio. I do this work, whether it's two pages or 10 pages, I, just like I was talking about with headshots. What's my name? What's, I'm not just the doctor. Who am I? How long have I been doing this? I find, you know, what is, you know, I do the objective and all that stuff. What secret am I hiding? What could be a little something? Little, I like to say a little Lowry's. What Lowry's can I sprinkle on it? That's a black seasoning a lot of black people use. <laughs> sprinkle a little Lowry's on it. Make it special. And um, and then I tape. My process for if, at at-home self-tape is no different than my process for going in the room. And that's something I just, I wholeheartedly believe in because in the room... That was an adjustment I had to make. As a theater performer, you're used to wowing every single person in that room from the moment you step foot in there. For the TV and film, I could care less about who's sitting in that room because all I care about is the camera. So that's why nothing changes from what I do at home versus in person. Because at the end of the day, have you watched 50 people come in your office, you're going to go back and watch that tape. And it's very important that I show that I can command the camera. And I've made so much, so many strong choices in my self-tape that by the time I get on set, that's what I'm prepared for. And I'm, but I do come fluid, ready to work. And because the director is going to, you know, tr throw some things at me. And I love that too. But, you know, I've been doing a series on Instagram, on my IGTV channel and, and in my Facebook group, Hollywood Bound Actors, where I post, I have a series called hashtag, you know, how did you book it? And I'll show the before and after. I'll show the self-tape and then I'll show the actual series. And the feedback has been, wow, it seems like it's, barely any difference and it's helping some of my actors see I'm not doing enough I'm not going all the way in in my tapes wow so yeah I want to show you this is what it's going to look like when you book me you don't have to do the work you don't have to coach it out of me I have it here we are going to talk about the the good doctor and actually the um the scene that you did there and the actually the self-tape which I watched quite recently oh good but um I wanted to ask you actually about uh, creating characters that are not fictional because you played um, Harriet Tubman in the episode of Timeless. And I'm curious, what kind of research did you do in preparation? And what, was it harder or easier to play a historical figure? Uh, harder in the pressure to represent Harriet Tubman well. Easier in no one's alive in now that has met her. <laughs> um, but I just, I studied, I just researched any books that I could find, articles, of course, the few pictures that we think of her and when, how they exist. Certainly I was taller than her, I hear, but also the tone of the show of Timeless, which is such a great show and they have such great fans. 
is there was some flexibility in in how I wanted to present her. And that the director, John Showalter, and the writers gave me so much room and trust to create the version of her that I wanted to create. I did certainly study other wonderful actresses who had the opportunity to play Harriet Tubman, not to copy, but just to see what I would bring to the table. And my goal in creating her was to bring, to show some of her vulnerability and her warmth and the fact that, yeah, she wasn't fearless. She just knew her purpose was bigger than her fear. So as far as a historical figure like that, that, like I said, no one can really tell me yes or no, that's true or not, that made it easier. But I also felt the weight to, I want to do a good job. Like, this is part of history. But because I've been on the other end where I've had some auditions for people who are still alive and I still enjoy that too. It's still pressure because you want to do them justice, but I think that's more fun because you can copy videos and do their mannerisms and try to get their voice down. I think that's a really fun challenge. Did you ever think about playing Michelle Obama? It's so funny. No, but I just, I took some recent press photos and it was around the same time her book was coming out. And I think, I swear, people like, they see it, they're like, you look like Michelle Obama. You look like Michelle Obama, especially with this new hair, this style that I have. So I don't know, maybe. You totally Could be do. something yeah. in the works. I'm I, just sitting here just looking at you, like, and this is the only thing that. I can You know what? That, I'm, I'm going to take that seed because there's a photo that looks very much like her cover. And I'm going to plant that seed out there in the universe and tag her and tag some directors. But Thank you. You never know. Thank you for that. You never know. <laughs> So one of the first roles you had on TV was The Young and the Restless. How did you find daytime soap opera acting versus other roles you've played? It's so funny you mentioned that. That came about my first go-round in Los Angeles. And I signed up to be... I submitted on Actors Access to be a, to do some background work. And because I was like, if I'm not book, booking, like at least let me see what it's like to be on these sets and learn that way. And that's a great tip for, for new actors. Um, and then they happened to call me back a couple of times and I had this recurring background, you know, featured extra role. Um, but soaps are very interesting because there's no, you get one take. I mean, you get one chance. You rehearse and then you shoot and then you move on. And that really was like, wow, I really need to make sure I I know how to memorize my lines and I know how to show up quickly. Like it was exciting and nerve wracking at the same time, but it was a great learning ground. Like, wow, you just got to get it, get it in there. It reminded me kind of a theater, like you have one shot and you know, there's no do overs. That's true. That's I know that's what I always thought of. I'm like, what do they do if you screw up? I mean, if they have to, they will, of course, do another take. They don't want to. Yeah. But, you know, you see the actors, you know, especially on the Young Lamesses at the time, you see them, you know, scrambling with their scripts in their hands, trying to read last minute. And then like action, they drop the script, you know. (laughs) But I get it. It's a new script every day. Wow. Yeah. But it's great muscle memory for the brain, I bet. That's true. We heard stories about um, scripts being laid out or underneath the table. They're coming to the table, just having a quick look, then delivering their line. There's a lot of um, a lot of tricks, I guess. I can tell you. I mean, I do that on television sets. I keep... You know, I keep my, I'm a good doctor. I would have moments where my script was in the bed with me along with my phone, you know, because even, even if you're in the moment, sometimes you can just, your brain would go blank and you don't have to call for line. So in between every take, just going back to those sides. So let's talk about the good doctor. Um, 
that scene with you in bed is quite long mm-hmm. for television. Is there's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, you actually monologuing and dialogue as well. Um, was it all shot? There was just one shot, or how did it work? It was. Uh, I mean, over the course of it was because we. I was in Canada for two weeks, but most of this, most of the only thing I shot week one was me coming into the emergency room. So yeah, everything in that hospital bed was in the second, was in a matter of like three days, three or four days. And it would just be long days in the bed. Yeah. How many hours in bed? We want to know. <laughs> you know, typical, a typical uh, TV, TV uh, time, you know, eight, about eight hours or so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was able to get up, you know, get up, take all my stuff off. You know, I think the most nerve wracking part of that, playing that character was not the bed, being in the surgical container. I have claustrophobia issues. And what you people don't know watching the show is you are in a, literally you're pushed into a table with your arms to your side. The only thing that's sticking out is your head for, for however long it takes to shoot all the surgical scenes. And that's all you have is your head poked out and everything else is constricted and closed off. So that, that was the most challenging. The bed was cool I was just chilling with some IVs and you know but that stuff you know was was hard and getting the prosthetics done and you know half body prosthetics took hours to make so they could it could match my skin tone and that would that's why they had all the gut showing it took a while it was a process yeah so continuing on with the good doctor do we we heard that you booked that from a self-tape yes. is that correct I did because I was actually booked on another project when they they invited me in in person um and I was so uh happy because I had read for that show a month before for a different role and didn't book it um so yeah but I that's the thing I I love self-tapes I'm so good at them I actually prefer taping I mean I like going in to meet people but I know at home like I'm gonna tape it better than the casting office is gonna tape it. Like as far as the framing, you know, my you know cross dissolving, fading in and out. Like I want to make sure they have the best possible product to send to networks for approval. Was that your first time that you booked straight from a self tape? Oh or no, I book from self tape all the time. Wow. And keep in mind, I lived in Atlanta for a long time. Atlanta is ninety five percent self tape for auditions. You rarely go in in person. So especially any actor in the southeast, you got to get your self-tape game up because that's all that's that's the only thing that's representing you. So I got really good at it when I lived in Atlanta and so I just transferred those uh techniques and tools here and I have my own self-tape studio, you know, unless I'm I only pay someone to self-tape me unless I'm out of town or something. And I think it's well worth anybody who's an actor to just invest. I mean, I have a whole series on YouTube about how to set that up like cuz you know, it's just a lot of money you're spending and you get to practice more if you have it in your own space. But yeah, I book a lot of self-tape and that was one. And I just created that character and the final product wasn't too much different than what you saw on my no, self-tape. It wasn't. And I have it on my IGTV channel. Anybody can check it out. Well, let's talk about the secret of your self-tapes because it's a lot of videos to watch. Can you give us just a few pointers? What are the most important things? Not necessarily in... Um, a presentation of the character and, and, and building that backstory, but literally just technically. Technically, yes. Good lighting, good sound. Even if your mic, even if your camera that you're using doesn't have a mic input. For years, my camera didn't have a mic input. 
but I made sure I was in a room in an area that the sound picked up good. Um, and I think backdrop is important. I talk a lot about that, making sure you have a backdrop that complements your skin tone. I always tell my fair skin clients, go for something like a royal blue, navy blue. You want to be something, the thing that's popping off the screen, not fading into it, or that drowns your skin tone out. My darkest, like people like me, that's chocolate and dark skin. I go for a gray. That's my favorite. Um, you could also do baby blue, not my favorite so much. So I think testing that out and making sure you have good lighting. Um, another thing, you know, is making sure you have a reader that can read well. Everybody, you know, there's a lot of intelligent people out there who can't read scripts well. <laughs> so it's like not personal, but if they're having trouble, that's going to affect you and your read because you're going to be too concerned with what your reader's doing. So it may not be your mom or your boyfriend. It may be a friend that you make an agreement to help each other out. So I would say lighting, sound, and then, of course, um, dressing Alluding to the part by with your dress, for sure. Um, and that goes to creating your character. And then I would say, lastly, um, knowing how to edit properly. You know, like, even if you're just using... I, I use iMovie to edit my tapes. And for people, if you need to use your cell phone, find a way to edit. Because your editing can make or break your self-tape, too. You know, you... I've just seen people just standing there when this audition starts and it's like, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be walking in? Like that's where stage directions come in and knowing what's happening. The biggest challenge I think is people not creating the environment. You, your job as the actor is to showcase, tell us where everything is. Where's the desk? Where's the, where's the sink? Where's the hallway? Let us see that. If you see it, we'll see it. That was one of the things that I saw because I watched that scene um, on your reel uh, from the good doctor, and then I watched the self tape, and and I saw you switching your your eyeline at who you were actually looking, who you were talking, even though um, you were talking, I think only to your husband, but there were two other people in the room at that time. Mm -hmm. I think it was like that scene had four, four of us total, so yeah. myself and three other people. Yeah, so it's important that you are creating that. You know, it's a big mistake some actors make is just look at one one direction. So I don't believe that you're talking to four people because you're looking in one place. <laughs> drama or comedy what comes to you more naturally more naturally drama but I'm finding I mean the first series regular I booked here in LA on for ABC back in 2016 was a comedy <laughs> so I was like I'm funny but I found out you know in this town my reaction is uh where the funny is and because I'm very grounded. That's the feedback I've gotten. I, I approach comedy the same way I do drama, and I think that's where the funny comes. But naturally, like I just love a juicy, a juicy drama role. From all those um, TV productions and and movies that you were in, which is like tons and tons of them now, which one did you enjoy the most, and why? Or top three? Okay. Well, okay, I'll do top three. The Good Doctor, for sure, that role um, of Dawn, because it was so layered. The way it was written, she looked like she was just a, a cheating liar. <laughs> and to show the turmoil and the confusion and the heartbreak she was dealing with was very 
challenging for me and, and really excited me and scared me a bit, but I, I handled it clearly. Uh, another fun role, one of my favorites actually was kind of a small role, but fun was on season one of Good Girls. And I played uh, this, I call her a church harlot. She was just a hot mess taking, you know, <laughs> credit for something she didn't do. And I got so much great feedback on that. And she was just fun because she was, you know, just just wrong on so many levels. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you'll have to see it season one to know what I'm talking about. And I think another um, favorite was on, I worked on SWAT this, this season and it was a, really a heartbreaking role of a mother who was basically choosing a man over her child and just the weight of that and trying to f still find her humanity to feel, to bring her truth to light because Christine was like, oh, how would she do that? But I love that challenge of that role as well. So those are my, I'd say my top three so far. You're a successful TV actress, but you're also a career coach. Yes. For, um, for actors and you run a community called Hollywood Bound Actors on Facebook and Booking Magnet Academy for actors who want to improve their acting and uh, booking prospects. What made you go in that direction? <laughs> Great question. It was not planned. But when I moved back to Los Angeles, Super Bowl Sunday, 2017, is when we got back here. I'll never forget it. You know, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to start. I'm all about content and documentation. I follow Gary Vaynerchuk a lot, you know, so I'm like oh, document yeah. everything, right? And so I was just like, well, let me just turn on my phone and just document going to this audition or how it felt or what I was thinking about. And what I saw, people just started kind of liking and commenting, and then it turned into questions and more questions and questions. And do you, can you help me? Do you coach? And it was this thing like that got born out of necessity. And I created my Facebook group just to have a place for people to congregate, which became, which is now Hollywood Bound Actors. And from there, I saw people still wanted to take it further. The free content was great, but just there were people wanted to do more. And as a, a serial entrepreneur that I am, I'm like, there's a need here. And I didn't, I saw a window and I knew there's a lot of coaches and career coaches, some people who used to be casting directors, some are used to be talent managers, but I just didn't see people who were feeding the population of people who had nowhere to start or were in smaller markets and didn't understand that smaller market and didn't speak their language. And so I just started offering, I started just doing kind of one-off coaching, like an hour here, hour there. But then I saw the people who kept coming to me, who worked with me for a while, had the biggest transformation. And that's how the Academy was born. I was like, because I was like, I'm tired of saying the same thing five times. OK, <laughs> let me just record it. <laughs> and then next thing I know, I had this kind of student portal of go to answers and step, you know, step by step tutorials. And so that's how the Booking Magnet Academy was created. And um so grateful for my founding members of that. At the time, it was called the Get Book Mastermind Group for Actors. I was like, what the hell? It's too long. <laughs> Title's too long. Um, but so, yeah, that's how it started. And they're, they're like, they do all the advertising for me because it's they're making so many great strides in their careers. And I'm a very Im invested coach. Like, I'm very direct, very blunt, very loving. And I'm like, the people I get to meet on Facebook through a, a live video, I start to invest in their dreams. And so it really becomes this personal thing, which I, I'm just honored. So I feel so blessed to be able to give back. I decided I'm going to be the coach that I wish I had in 2011 when I was sitting in my apartment, broke, depressed, confused, and didn't know what to do next. 
And that's how I approach how I teach, which is why sometimes I'm very aggressive and very direct because I'm like, you need to get it. Like I'm fighting for you. Now you cannot do this, but don't say I didn't tell you. And that's what my clients are used to. So that's how it grew. And so it just is continuing to elevate. And of course, I've had to become more selective and slimline, uh, you know, what's the word, streamline my offerings because so many people want to work with me that I had to make sure I was only working with people who were willing to meet me halfway. I can't want, I can't want your dream more than you want it. And the building blocks of your coaching are, let me get it right, mindset, acting technique, marketing, and audition technique. And you call it mama. It's called, you need to get to know your mama. Gotta you. Need to get to know your mama. People say, Christine, when did things change for you? You went from zero bookings and then all of a sudden you're just working, working, working. I mean, people ask me that now. My friends are like, how are you booking so much? I know my mama. Do you know yours? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even have my headshots yet. <laughs> you know, I but I believe they're all equally important and they're in the order in which I I say them is the is the order of importance to me. Mindset is number one. And most actors don't think it is. They don't want, that's not the sexy response. Christine, help me. How can I get more auditions? How can I be in a movie like you? How can I do some TV shows? Just tell me where to do, like, give me the magic pill. Well, I could give you all of that. And a lot, in my YouTube videos, I give a ton of content, but you're not going to do it. Why? Because your inner critic's going to talk you out of it. You can doubt, fear, worry, procrastination, fear of competition, not enough. You know, all this stuff is going to come up and paralyze you. So if you don't deal with the mindset first, you, nothing else is going to happen. In my academy, I come on the, our live hot seat calls ready to do strategy or what are we going to do for marketing? And I give all these marketing tips and then I realize only a fraction of them will do it. It's because they're scared. What would people think of me? I don't want to seem braggadocious. Well, what if I get blackballed? What if? And it's like, it's mindset. So that's where we start. And then, of course, you need to have acting techniques. Because just because you believe and you do positive affirmations that you're a great actor, if you're not in class, honey, <laughs> when you get that opportunity, we don't want you sucking in the room, right? And then marketing is essential because you have to know, people have to know that you're here. I always tell my students, you can't be a secret and a success. People have to know you're here. And then, of course, audition techniques, because having a natural gift at acting is different from auditioning. Auditioning is a skill, It is a skill that you need, you need to get together in your brain to execute. Just You may know you're a good actor, but if you don't execute properly, you're not going to get the bookings. So do you know a bad actor when you see one? And what makes them a bad actor? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think at some point we're all, we were all bad actors, I think, for sure. But I think trying to act is the first, is the first sign. You know, it's just... When I see an act, an actor turn into a robot, you know, they go from having a what could be a normal conversation and, and just become robotic. They're not connected. It's just memorizing lines, um, trying to. It's just it's just turned on versus turned in inward. You know, speaking from the inside out. Um, yeah, I just think just overdoing it, being too large, too animated. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think we all know. Some bad acting when we see it. <laughs> so backing off that question, we know actors make a lot of mistakes, but what would you say is the biggest or most frequent mistake you see actors making? Listening to their inner critic and taking their inner critic's advice. 
I tell I tell my students, and I, I actually have it in. I have a whole section about this in my book that's coming out. I like to give your inner critic a name because, and people think it's weird. I know, I know it feels weird and woo woo, but just try it. It's important that you know that that voice is not yours. If you think you're calling yourself fat, too old, too ugly, not worthy, not talented enough, you don't have what it takes, that will stop you from doing anything. So that is the number one mistake I think actors make is listening to that voice because that voice is going to show up every day, especially when you're doing something amazing, especially when that next level audition comes in. That's the that's that inner voice's job. We call it different names, ego, the devil, inner critic, whatever you want to call it. It's doing its job. It thinks it's protecting you and keeping you safe. Oh, don't do that. That's uncomfortable. You don't know what's going to happen. You might fall flat on your face. And just if that is the driving force, then yeah, that's the biggest mistake you can make. You mentioned your book, so let's just talk about that. Yes. Um, what is it about? When is it coming out? And how long did it take you to write it? I'm so excited, and thank you for letting me share about it. The book is called Playing Small, The Actor's Guide to Becoming a Booking Magnet. I call myself Booking Magnet, and it's a term that I've coined Um because I believe we we are magnets. We draw positive things into our life. We draw bookings and opportunities to our life. And playing small is just really about, the whole book really is mindset. Yes, I throw some actual techniques on, you know, dealing with the audition and that kind of thing for sure, which will be so helpful. But what I know for sure is that fear is the main thing that is hindering us as actors. Your thoughts are sabotaging your career. So this book is dedicated to the actor out there, every single one of us who needs that extra bit of push, motivation, and understanding that we get to create our experience as actors and what we want to bring into our lives. So I give some really good techniques on how to push past, I call it some of the seven major fears that we are dealing with as actors. And it was just on my heart for about a year And it came from working with students in my Booking Magnet Academy and hearing them on each call, hearing what they were going through. And I was like, what can I leave for them? What can I, if they could just have it in their audition bag. And so I had the idea, but I didn't really start writing it actually until I went to Vancouver to shoot The Good Doctor. And the idea had been there. The first draft of the book was called Back to One. You know, they tell us that on set. Go back to one. So I was thinking, oh, that would be the name of the book. And it just kind of shifted. I didn't do anything with it. I procrastinated because I was scared to death. The inner critic came on up. It's like, girl, nobody's going to read that book. Nobody, who are you to write a book? You know, it was all these things. I go through it too. But when I was in Canada, I had so much time alone and to think and introspect. And so I would start going to this coffee shop and start writing it. And then honestly, that was like in September, maybe, of 2018. And then I stopped. I got busy, stopped, got sidetracked or procrastinated some more. And then once the new year hit, I was like, come on, Christine. You know, that was kind of my New Year's resolution. And so I decided that I would, let me say, I'm not a morning person. But I decided I would wake up at 6.30 every morning and give myself an hour and a half to only work on the book whether it sucked or not, just show up for myself. Because what I realized was come 10 a.m., my day is no longer mine. I either have auditions or I have clients. I'm dealing with my dog or my turtle or my husband. And next thing you know, it's time to cook dinner and I'm tired and nothing happens. So I just committed to that for about another two months. And I, I was done. I knew I did. I wasn't trying to write a 400-page 
you know, book. You know, actors were busy, quality over quantity. And so that's what we have. So the book is available August 1st on Amazon. And yes, and I'm so excited. The a website for that is whyplaysmall.com, or you can just go to Amazon and find it. But I'm really proud to leave this as part of my legacy and as and for my students to have. Well, we're super excited excited to read it. Thank you. Um, one last question um, before we finish off here: um, How can actors improve their chances um, apart from reading your book? Because that's definitely going to um, help. If you could give yourself a piece of advice, you know, in 2011, 2000, mm -hmm. 2011, what would yeah. that piece of advice be? Stay in class for what it is that you want to do next, not just what seems popular. Create your own content. Give yourself your yes <laughs> instead of waiting on it. And continue doing personal development. I mean, I, I know, again, that's not the sexiest answer, but I think the more you get to know yourself, the more you will be just well-rounded as a human being. When you go to auditions, people want to... Yes, they're, they're trying to cast a role and they're trying to see if you're right for it or not. But when you know who you are, you don't walk in the room with desperation and anxiety and, and nerves and feeling like, if I don't book this, then I am not worthy. Have other things you do outside of acting that fuel you and make you happy and bring you joy. Because that, again, will make you well-rounded. And those are things and experiences you can bring to your characters. So yeah, you know, study and dissect the medium that you want to dominate. That is key. When I decided that I was going to be a working television actor, I studied TV like it was my job. You can't watch it anymore just as a spectator. You have to dissect it. So if that, if you want to do Broadway, go to Broadway shows and dissect Broadway shows. Same thing for film. And then that's when you can emulate it and take on some of those things that you've learned. And that will tremendously help your chances and, uh, you know, use it all as your own as your own school and your teaching ground. You don't have to pay for that. And that's all, folks. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter at LA is good for you. Our podcast is recorded at Rosinante Studios in Delray, recommended for all your low budget recording and sound editing needs.